0: I want to talk to you today about shalom. Yes, <laughs> that's the right response. <laughs> During the holidays, uh, Piffer and I had been staying with us her mother, my mother in law, 90 years of age. Her name is Irene. Irene comes from the Greek word Irene which translates the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is one of the most important, powerful, life changing words in the entire Bible. Very hard to translate it. It occurs three times in the passage we've just had read to us. And uh, there isn't really an English word to translate it. It's They use two words, it like peace and prosperity. But even that doesn't do justice as we'll see the real true meaning of this word. When you understand the true meaning of the word shalom, it will change your life. It's the greeting that they have. If you go to Israel, someone will greet you, they'll say shalom. And when you leave, they'll say shalom. This word is the answer If you come here today and you're anxious, you need shalom. If you're fearful, you need shalom. If you're lonely, you need shalom. If you're filled with angst and emptiness, shalom. I don't know whether any of you have been watching Vanity Fair on uh, Sunday nights on ITV. Vanity Fair, the expression Vanity Fair comes from John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress. And he described Vanity Fair as a world without God. And that was taken up by William Batepeace Thackeray with his novel, Vanity Fair. And each episode, if you're watching it, you'll know it, it starts, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Vanity Fair, a world where everyone is striving for what is not worth having. Now, that was a description of, he was writing about London during the Napoleonic Wars 200 years ago, and he was describing a world that is not so different from our own, where everyone is striving for what is not worth having. People are striving for materialism, they're after after promiscuity, they're after Just stuff that was not satisfying their souls. And as you look at London today, we see this striving, this emptiness. And as a result, we see the drugs and the violence and the gangs and the knife crime. And a lack of shalom desperate need for shalom. It's what we all need in our own lives. I know what it's like not to have shalom because I wasn't a Christian growing up. I know the angst, the emptiness, the hole inside that comes from a lack of shalom. And then I encountered Jesus. And Jesus is shalom. That's his name. Prince of Shalom, Prince of Peace. See, Shalom, peace, is not the absence of trouble. I suspect if I go around here or on the square, if I ask you, is there trouble in your life, you'd say, yes, of course. All of us have trouble in our life. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of Jesus in the midst of trouble. A few days ago, Pippa and I went to visit a member of the congregation who had a tragic accident nine months ago, she fell down some stairs and she broke her neck. Long standing friends um, and on the ministry team here for many years and she has no movement now from the neck downwards, apart from a very small movement in one arm and we went there and and we went with a little team and we, we prayed for her. Do you know there was a sense of shalom in that room, in the midst of really great suffering and tragedy in her life. And afterwards she wrote and she said "Their kindness, the kindness of the team who came, plus the communion and the prayer ministry, the strong felt presence of the spirit made me feel very loved. The love of God moved again from my head to my heart and that sweetness and shalom is still with me today despite awaiting all the nasty aspects of my personal care this morning. See, Jesus is almost synonymous with this word, shalom. Jesus is the prince of peace. When Jesus was born, the angel said, peace on earth. Jesus came and he brought peace through his death on the cross and through his resurrection. He brought peace with God. That's the message we preach. That's the message the disciples went out and they preached the good news of peace, of shalom through Jesus Christ. Paul summarized the message. He said, it's, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with God. We're at peace. We have this shalom deep, deep down in our hearts. That is the good news. That's the wonderful thing. And this is what the prophet Jeremiah was talking about. This is one of the uses, the three uses of this word in this passage today. Here's one. It's in this promise. But I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to shalom you to prosper you, that's the way it's translated here, and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. So this is a promise for you. Shalom is what they had in the Garden of Eden before the fall. Shalom is one, what one day all of us will experience for eternity with Jesus. But what is the word? There isn't a word. Here are some of the words that I found. Even these words are not enough to do justice to it. But it's all these things. Shalom means peace, harmony, wholeness, blessing, security, freedom, completeness, welfare, safety, tranquility, well-being, flourishing, health, prosperity, fullness, rest, contentment, friendship. Quite a lot of things far more than the absence of war or conflict. It's the presence of something more. When everything is what it can be, living up to its potential, completeness, wholeness, it's to reconcile and heal a broken relationship. Maybe some of you have a relationship you would love to see healed and restored. Well, it's more than just the absence of conflict. It, when rivals make shalom, It doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It means they start working together for each other's benefit. This is what the kings of Israel were supposed to do for their cities. This is what prime ministers are supposed to do. This is what presidents are supposed to do. They're supposed to bring shalom. But of course, it didn't happen. So the people were saying, one day, one day it's going to happen. One day, there's going to be a prince of Shalom. And they look forward to Jesus, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. And the, that's what now God has for you. And the moment you encounter Jesus, you experience that peace. But if you're like me, I lose that peace from time to time. Anxiety, fear, sin, and we lose our peace, and Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. How do you get the peace back? There's certain things in my life which I know that's where I experience peace. The worship here today, that was, you could sense the shalom of God. In, uh, when I read the Bible, that's why I love to read the Bible every day, because as you encounter Jesus, you experience his peace. As I walk around the park and pray, I experience his shalom. But it's not, not just on my own, it's in community. I, uh, last Thursday, we went with some friends who we'd been meeting with for years. Like, it's like equivalent, I guess, of a connect group. And we just spent, spent time with them. And uh, the, the hours shot past, and we felt the shalom of God in that room. When I go into the 24-7 prayer room, I experience the shalom of God. When someone in our small group on Alpha last term a guy who he just came to Christ on the encountered Jesus himself 6 months ago and then he came to help in the small group and on the healing evening he prayed for me and his prayer was so powerful i experienced the shalom of god and his words and his prayer have stuck with me ever since that night it's in community it's in the church this is not something to do on our own. That's why if you're not in a connect group, join a connect group. Get involved because it's in the church. That's why I love the holidays, but I miss the shalom of the community that we experience here. There's something amazing about the church. But it's not just about even that. It's not just about the church. We, the context of this passage A text without a context is a pretext. The context of this is 597 BC. The people of God had gone into exile, horrible experience. They were living in Babylon. And in that context, three years after that had happened, in 594, Jeremiah writes this letter to the exiles. And he says to them, as you've just heard in the reading, he says, don't listen to the false prophets. The false prophets were saying, look, don't worry guys, it's all gonna be over soon, you're gonna be back home. And he says, no, 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 that's not gonna happen, it's gonna be 70 years you're in exile. And it was 70 years that they were in exile. And this is a picture for us. St. Peter writes in the New Testament that we are foreigners and exiles in this world. That's what we are, we are exiles because we belong in a different kingdom, the kingdom of God, but we're living in the city of London. We are exiles, but we're living there. And how do we respond to that? How do we live in that city? Well, this is revolutionary. This is the biblical teaching on how do you live in a city when you're living as an exile. And he says, I urge you. He says, what does he he say? He says, seek the shalom of Babylon, verse 7. Seek the peace and prosperity, the shalom of the city into which I have carried you into exile. Here is the biblical principle. So shalom comes not just in your own relationship with God, not just in the community, but it comes as you go out and seek the shalom of wherever you are. If you're a young person, you seek the shalom of your school. You seek the shalom of your university. You seek the shalom of your business. If your business flourishes, you will flourish. If your school flourishes, you flourish. Seek the shalom of wherever you are. That's the calling of all of us as exiles. This is revolutionary. Because the church, it's like, Jesus says, like yeast, you need the dough to make the bread. We're out there like the yeast in the world, like a light bringing light to wherever we are. You are light, Jesus said. You're bringing shalom. Here's the thing. The biblical understanding of shalom is not something that you have, it's something that spills out of you as well. So the shalom that you have spills out so that other people around you experience shalom because you're there. You have an impact on your workplace. You have an impact on your family. You have an impact on your gym. You have an impact on your community because shalom is coming from you. them so how does this apply to us we're called not just to be a church in London but a church for London Others cities have always played a strategic part in God's plan that's why we're planting these city centre churches all around the country and they're having an impact on their city. You go to Brighton, and they've heard of St. Peter's Brighton. They know what's happening with the the homeless, the the young people. They they see the people flooding into the church. It's having an impact on the city. And that's true of these churches all over now, in Nottingham, Birmingham, Norwich, Bournemouth, Gateshead. But we also are in a city. Arguably, according to Forbes magazine, the most influential city in the entire world. If you can change London, you can change the world. Could that happen? Could it happen in London? Could we see the shalom of Jesus come to London? You know, Vanity Fair times, it was in a very dark place, like at the moment. But then along came the impact of Wesley and Whitfield began to change the city. And then, you know, slavery was around still at the time of the Napoleonic Wars, but then Wilberforce, Shaftesbury, the start start of the Sunday schools. By 1910, there was a total transformation in the country. But then, since then, it's been in decline, except for a little blip, which happened. If you're watching the series uh, on Netflix of The Crown, anybody? Series two, there's an episode (laughs) where the Queen forms the friendship with a man who died in February this year, Billy Graham. He came to London in 1954, and people mocked him, silly Billy. He booked, he booked the Harringay Arena, which held 12,000 people. It had only ever been filled for one night. He booked it for three months. First night, it was packed. Second night, it snowed, and it was still almost full. And every night thereafter, it was packed out. Then he went to Trafalgar Square, and the Trafalgar Square was packed out. Then he went to Wembley Stadium, and 120,000 people packed Wembley Stadium. And London began to experience the shalom of God. People were talking about Jesus. This is what they said about what happened at that time. Jesus was the topic of conversation in homes, factories, clubs, and pubs. Even more extraordinary was the transformation on the tube on the London Underground. From the seemingly endless queues waiting at the station for tickets, one hears wave after wave of song rolling back towards the streets. They were singing on the Underground. The tube trains are packed with these singing multitudes, and there's a smile on every face. This quite spontaneous demonstration of Christian joy is most impressive. This is the Daily Telegraph. Is most impressive and one cannot fail to observe the effect it has on passengers who board the trains at subsequent stations. That's the shalom of God spreading in London. And what, how, how in practice do we bring that, how could that happen again? Here's the first thing from this passage pray to the Lord for it. This was unique in ancient literature. Jeremiah says, pray for your captors. They never did that. They did the opposite. They prayed against their captors. Pray for your, pray for your city. That's what we're doing on Tuesday here, Kingdom Come. Praying for this city. That's what the 24 happens in the 24-7 prayer room. Pray for your city. Then, hold out Jesus. How does Shalom come to London? Jesus comes to London. That's why we do the stuff we do. That's why we do Alpha. Because like, holding out Jesus is not just one of the things we do. It is the thing we do. We're trying to, as we want people in this city to know Jesus because if they know Jesus, they know Shalom. So, do you know, it's amazing, there are hundreds of Alpha Courses running across London, 10,000 in the UK, something is happening. And then, strong and healthy relationships. He talks about marrying and having families and increasing, but this is all relationships relationships in your connect group, your friendship groups, relationships at work, build strong, healthy relationships. And yes, marriage matters too. Marriage is under attack. And a strong and healthy marriage is brings shalom. I met a couple here at the 11.30 service last Sunday. And uh, we'd been in Tuesday and they were, they were going to come to lunch. Uh, and and I, I hadn't met them before. Not consciously met them before. But they they are... I knew them from their films because they're film stars. Both of them are film stars and they live in Hollywood. And they came here to celebrate their 20th anniversary of their marriage. And they said that's almost unique in Hollywood. And uh, and I heard their story how they came as students to this church. They met at this church. They did Alpha here 20 years ago. They did the marriage course here, and they spoke about how the marriage course had had such an impact on their marriage. Now, in Hollywood, couples come to see them because they see the example of their marriage, and they want to have a marriage like that. They want to have a family like that. You know, the the Lee stuff on on the marriage course, apparently, this is absolutely critical the marriage prep course. It's it's life-changing. This is having an impact on our city, essentially having an impact on Hollywood. This is the impact of shalom relationships, in, in the workplace, creating and cultivating a culture, wherever you are, in your business, your politics, government, you know, in your school, amazing to hear what you young people at uh, Onso Square, uh, in your schools, the impact that you're having, bringing your friends to church who are then encountering Jesus and experiencing shalom. You know, this is happening right across, uh, the, this is your presence, wherever you work, you are a carrier of shalom. You're bringing the shalom of Jesus to your workplace. And then the, the, the poor to the, to the estates. There's something amazing happening. The earlier service, I, I welcomed St. Francis Delgado Estate, which is now another site for us. And we're planting into that's the vision, to plant into estates. And this is, this is what, what could happen if there was a church on every estate in London, right across this nation? And it's possible, I saw this just recently in the national press. Here was the headline, Return of Christianity. Church to be placed on every estate of the UK, says Church of England. Hallelujah. What an amazing, exciting vision that is. What could happen here in London? And you know, the, when Billy Graham came in 1954, 12 years later, he came back, 1966, he came back to Earl's Court. And this is what people said. The impact of your time in London with all those hundreds of thousands of people hearing about Jesus has been so extraordinary. This is, the, this is the key fact we've noticed. In Earl's Court, on the stage with him, were 52 Anglican clergymen, all of whom who were converted in 1954 at Haringey and were now ordained in the Anglican Church. 52, that was considered amazing and was gonna change the country, but do you realize something even more amazing is happening right now? Hundreds are being called. We have some of them here. If you'd like, just come up, come up. Those of you who are, these are, these are some of the ones, these are just one from, from this year, la, next year, last year, rather, who are training for ordination. And all they're all trained to be vicars in the Church of England, and they're just in. They're just some of the ones in our churches who are going to be planting. Some of them are going to be planting onto those estates. Some of them are going to be leading city center uh, churches across this country in due course. These are just some of those that are here. But there are hundreds that's a mellitus. And, and again, the national press has noticed in the week a couple of weeks ago, a good week for the Church of England which is experiencing a surge in the number of young people training to be priests. Here are some of them. And then Sky News. Millennials joining the Church of England has risen by 32%. These are all millennials. They've risen by 32% in the last two years. 54% of those are women. Hallelujah. You want to see hope for the Church of England? Take a look at these guys. That's hope. Thank you guys so much. What could happen? Well, it's not just... Of course, I've got the best job in the world, sir. I recommend being a vicar in the Church of England. (laughs) But it's not just that. It's in your workplaces. It's in every sphere of society. Like that couple in Hollywood. We need people in every area. In politics, businesses, healthcare, schools, universities. Right across every sphere of society. And you can bring shalom wherever you are. Because you're special. Because you have God's anointing on you. You have God's spirit living within you. All of you. You have the spirit of God living in you. You have God's shalom wherever you are. Michael Ketterer is a pediatric mental health nurse. He married his wife's name, I think is Ivy, and he, he had a, a daughter, um, and they were so, the, the baby was so sick, uh, the mother and baby were so sick, they almost died. He prayed all night. He's also a part-time worship leader. He prayed all night that they would survive, and they did, but they, they, the doctor said, you can't have any more children. But when the daughter was seven years old, she said, I had a dream that we would adopt as a family three little boys. And they applied to adopt. And the first offer they received was of three little boys. And they adopted those three little boys. And then they thought, well, these boys have had such a terrible life. They, They were able to change that life. And then there was a four, they were offered a four-year-old little boy who had been home was homeless. He was living on the streets, so they took him into their home. And then, because he was a nurse, they said, "Well, we, there's, there's this, this little boy who's got cerebral palsy. Would you would you be able to adopt him?" And they said, "Yes, of course. We'd love to adopt him." And so they now have six children, <laughs> and uh, yeah. And he got the the opportunity to go on to America's Got Talent, and this is what happened. If you can bring shalom to Simon Cowell, you can bring shalom to anyone. (laughs) Think of all the people in your workplace. That you think, oh, they're like Simon Cowell, <laughs> and they would never be interested. You can make a difference. They can be impacted by your life. And as you watch this next clip, think about these words applying to you, because they do apply to you. Each of you, wherever you are in your community, your family, you have The shalom of God. In your schools and universities, you have the shalom of God. And these words which were spoken over Michael, this is the next round. These words that are spoken over Michael, they apply to every Christian who is carrying the shalom of Jesus. Take a look at this. It's who you are and how you are. And that applies to every single one of you. It's who you are in your school and how you are. Who you are in your university, how you are. Who you are in your business, how you are. Who you are in that hospital, how you are. What could happen in this city as each of us and this nation, as each of us go out with the shalom of God, filled with his shalom, overspilling to others. We really could play our part in the re-evangelization of this nation, the revitalization of the church, and the transformation of our society. In Jesus' name, amen.